Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Good morning friends. Friend. So I think if you got up a little bit early today, probably went outside or outside saw that it's quite misty out. And remember that in Old Testament scripture when the cloud comes down to be with us. God is present with us. God is present with us. Hi, Keith. Good morning, sir. How are you, sir? Peachy. You looking good in that red? <laughs> Very good. Tough message today. Really tough message from, from the gospel. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, quick pop quiz. Um, when we say our confession, what the first verse you say? Most merciful God. We come to God in our need, and the first address to God is most, not almighty, or compassionate, or forgiving. It's most merciful. Most merciful God. We're reminded in this reading today that God's grace should be something that we respond to and something that we reflect into the world. To be really touched by God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's love, means not that you just receive that for yourself, but it changes who you are, making you more compassionate, more loving, more merciful, more forgiving yourself. And reflecting that back into a world that needs to know more love, more compassion, more mercy, more forgiveness. God's grace to be truly received means it changes fundamentally who we are, little by little perhaps, and sometimes in huge leaps. Sometimes in huge leaps. It's a story, um, the book is called The Sunflower. Written by Simon Wiesenthal. Anybody know the, the man or, or the book? Okay. Simon Wiesenthal made a name for himself being a Nazi hunter. <coughs> Spent his life tracking down those who have done horrible things during World War II and bringing them to justice. And he wrote a small book. It doesn't take long to read it. It's called The Sunflower. And the subtitle is On the Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness. And it's one account, it's one piece of his experience. When he was a young man, the Germans invaded Poland. Something that Wally Figueroa reminds me of. He says, your people invaded my people. <laughs> when he was a young man, the Germans invaded this country. And he's a Jew. And they rounded up Simon and his family and a lot of people and incarcerated them and systematically set to killing them all. And this is a story about a piece of that. And at the end of his story, if you read the book, at the end of his story, and it's not all that long, there are a number of responses from ethicists, from religious leaders, from professors and scholars answering for themselves 
a question that he struggled with and presents in this book. Now, you don't have to read the whole book to find out what it's about and what different people had to say because St. Wikipedia <laughs> has an entry for the sunflower by Simon Wiesenthal. And they present a nice little chart where it lists who all these experts are, who all these professionals are, and, and what their religious affiliation is, and what their response is. So here's his story. He says that he was a prisoner in a camp, and one day they decided that some of those prisoners would be given duties at a local hospital. That they would be sent there each day to round up the trash and clean up the hospital. And so he says that as they're marching in formation to this work site, he notices off to the side a place where they had begun burying the German soldiers who didn't make it out of the hospital alive. And he said on each grave there was a sunflower. Each gray of sunflower. Turning its face toward the sun, and he looked at that and said, Oh, how, how lovely that is. That these German soldiers have a decent burial. And that they planted a sunflower which connects their, their body with the living world where still some of the sunshine of creation and, and the love and the joy of the world can make its way down to their cold grave. And he noticed that there are bees and butterflies that kind of fly from one sunflower to the next, and he imagined that's a way for them to remain in community, that those bees and butterflies were passing messages between the deceased. How lovely that that is what they did. Because for himself, and for those who were already gone, it was an unmarked mass grave. Simply discarded into a hole with all these other people to be forgotten for the rest of time. These murderers get this dignified way of being buried. And us, the people who are innocent or being victimized, even in death, received no dignity. He said when he got to the hospital, because actually it was a school that they converted to a hospital, he knew the place, he had been a student there. He said when he was working one day, a nurse came up to him and asked him what might seem to be to us a silly question. He said, are you a Jew? He said, yes, I am. She said, well, come with me. I need you. Someone. And she took him into what used to be the dean's office. And there was a German soldier in there who was dying. And I don't know what happened to this, to this soldier, but he was wrapped in bandages from head to toe. Just opening in the bandages for his, his eyes and his nose and his mouth. And he didn't have long at all to live. 
And Simon went and sat down next to the man. The man began to speak to Simon, asked him, are you a Jew? And Simon said, yes, I am. And the man said, I need to confess something to you. Because I'm haunted by a nightmare. Because of something that I did. Now Simon, having seen the brutality of these people and what they've done, he lost 89 family members in this. He had seen people slaughtered. And now he's sitting in this room with this German soldier who now wants something from him. And the German soldier starts to tell him about this atrocity that he directed. Seems that a year earlier, this German soldier and the others with him rounded up 300 Jews and locked them inside a house. Men, women, and children. And then set the house on fire. And as the people would scream and try to flee for their lives by jumping out of windows, they'd shoot them dead. And the soldier was saying that he has these nightmares from the screams and from the smell of the burning flesh and the people on fire jumping out of windows and being shot. And he wants forgiveness. He asked Simon, will you forgive me? For the things that I have done, and because I did it to your people and you being a Jew, I need your forgiveness before I die. Simon got up and walked out. When he got back to the camp, he shared that experience with the other captives wanting to know whether they thought he did the right thing. Did I do the right thing? The question haunted him for the rest of his life. And so in this book, The Sunflower, he talks about that, and he talks about his struggle with, did I do the right thing? And a dozen or so people have responded to that question. What's the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? What's your answer? What is your answer? Now, I know there's always this, this danger, this, this, this problem we have of thinking about hypotheticals. My wife and children are alive. Nobody has slaughtered 90 of my family members. I've not seen people burned to death. I've not lived through the horrors of war. I've not had horrible things done to me. I've not been put in danger like that. But still, it's a question about 
Where's your heart? Hypothetical, yes, but there is an answer that can be given. <clears throat> what would you do? What would you do? Most merciful. So I thought, you know, well, maybe a good place to start answering this is, well, let me just swipe from somebody else's sermon. <laughs> Matthew 5, 7. Greatest sermon, greatest preaching ever. The Lord's Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. mercy. <clears throat> Blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. <clears throat> the world doesn't act that way, does it? No, the merciful can seem foolish, taken advantage of, and evil ones get away. But Jesus is talking about his Father's kingdom and the way the people of his Father's kingdom are supposed to live. As hard as that is, as impossible as that, that might be to think at times, blessed are the merciful. Close to God's heart are those who are merciful. <coughs> And because they're close to God's heart, when they need it, they will receive mercy. They will receive mercy. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful because your Father is merciful. And your Father wants that from you. Wants that from you. We often, though, you know, we, we don't want necessarily mercy. Somebody has done something horrific, and we don't want mercy. We want something else. The story of a man who had been convicted of a capital crime in France, and Napoleon had sentenced him to death. His mom somehow made her way all the way to the emperor to plead for her son's life. She said to him, I ask for mercy. Spare his life. And it said that Napoleon replied, he doesn't deserve mercy for what he did. And she replied, of course he doesn't deserve mercy. If he deserved it, it would not be mercy. If he deserved it, it would not be mercy. Napoleon said, very good, and spared his life. Spared his life. Yeah, mercy is not something that we deserve or anybody else deserves. When Jesus is sending out his disciples, he tells them, freely you have been given. Freely you have been given. Freely you have received. Give without pay. Give without pay. You see, if you know that you have been shown mercy, if you know that, then you should show it. Then you should show it. 
See, the world needs more of that, more mercy, more compassion, more love, more understanding, more peace. The world needs that. And in God's good plan, it is for his children to show the world God's peace, God's love, God's mercy. We will reap what we sow. <clears throat> we will reap what we sow. If we want mercy, we have to practice mercy. If you want to understand, you've got to practice understanding. If you want love, show up. That's what will return. It's a story of a man who was a farmer. Wonderful farm, productive, had a wife and children. Blessed, blessed life. And then he got older. And he started to slow down. A bit. And finally the day came when it was time for him to turn over his farm to his eldest son. And so he did, but he continued helping his son on the farm now, being kind of a helping hand as, as his son took over more of the business. And, and as the years went by, he was able to do less and less. Until finally the day came when the man who had owned the farm and raised his family and seen his son grow up and take over everything, he was just an old man sitting on the porch. Passing his days, kind of watching what's going on and taking naps and just kind of enjoying the last years of his life. But his son became resentful. He would complain to his wife about his dad who was kind of just taking up space breathing somebody else's air, not contributing anything, and just another mouth to be fed. Wrong boy. So his wife, his good wife, did say, well, why don't you do something? So he did it. He went and he found some lumber, and he started doing some measuring and did some cutting and started putting the pieces together, and he built himself a wooden box. Then he takes this wooden box and he drags it where his dad is and he says, Dad, get in. And so his feeble old father kind of manages to get his legs over in and plops down in this wooden box. It's a casket. And he shuts the lid off. Nails that thing tight. Gets a carrier and starts dragging it out of the house, bouncing it down the stairs. Dad inside. He's heading toward the cliff. He's going to throw his dad off. There he is dragging him through the, the pathway down toward the cliff, and, and, and then he starts hearing this knocking noise. Then he realizes that that knocking noise, oh, that's, that's coming from inside the box. Coming from inside the box. Uh, yeah, do you want something? It's talking to his dad. Then said, "Well, son, I, I got to tell you something. I mean, I, I know that you resent me being around. You've made that pretty clear. And I know you think I'm worthless and just taking up space and eating up scarce resources, and and you want to be done with me. I I, I know that. I see it." You've made that clear. And I know you want me to just die, and you're going to throw me over the cliff, 
And that's fine. You can throw me over the cliff. But I think you should save this wooden box because one day I think your children will need it. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Not that it makes sense, not that it's easy, but it is God's way. And so we pray this day for the blessing of God's Holy Spirit that we might do things pleasing to God, including showing mercy to those who need it, even when they don't deserve it.